Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. did we watch ah uh, we watched a movie near and dear to my heart uh in honor of independence day america's independence day the fourth of july we watched national treasure <laughs> so this movie is near and dear to your heart tell me the history of your experiences with this movie well first i just want to note that this episode will likely be coming out after independence day i think it's going to come out tuesday july 5th is that right do they come out on Mondays, the episodes? They come out on Mondays. Oh, wow. So we actually nailed the 4th of July. Yeah. Damn, we're good. I'm confusing this with our other podcast. 
Well, I was going to make a joke about how dates don't matter anyway, because, uh, you know, John Adams himself was talking about how uh, they were going to remember the 2nd of July forever, because <laughs> that's the date they actually signed it. But the 4th is when it got kind of distributed. But we actually are... Pretty good joke. Pretty, <laughs> pretty good joke that I had to go back and explain after it turned out to be irrelevant. Um, so, yeah, my history with National Treasure... I saw this movie for the first time on a bus going to Philadelphia for our, my school had a fifth grade overnight trip to Philadelphia. I, I'm from New York. So for some reason they're like, that's a good idea. Uh, we'd go out and see the Liberty Bell and all that stuff. So what did fifth grade Anya make of this movie and of Philadelphia? I I thought Philly was cool, but I was in fifth grade. So I mean, I'd, I, I've not really been there as an adult for an extended period of time. So I I wouldn't deign to, uh, and I guess I went there for a college uh, journalism conference. Philly's okay. I, I've, I've never had a horrible time in Philly. Um, I find Gritty amusing on Twitter. But in terms of the movie, I love the movie. I was like, this movie is my shit. So I feel like this was a, I love history. Uh, Did you love history before you saw this picture? I loved history before I saw this picture, but this picture made me realize, oh, instead of having a personality, <laughs> I can just talk about history all the time. So, uh, you know, this was maybe the the genesis of some of that. Um, yeah, I, I I loved it. I just thought it was so cool, all the history stuff. Yeah, I, I, I was into, I eventually studied early American history quite a bit earlier than this, actually. Uh, Jamestown, 1607. Very cool. But I Is think there like a hidden treasure buried at Jamestown? The treasure, Kevin, is knowledge. <laughs> I guess there was. I mean, they found that reliquary, right? Mysterious reliquary. Catholic saint bones in the ground. But anyway, we digress. We're not going to get into that because then we'll be here for like five hours. <laughs> I love this movie. This movie's kind of like a meme among people, I think, of my generations, where they, we all realize how ridiculous it is and how, how kind of wooden Nick Cage's performance is. But, like, we love it, and we're sad that there was never a third one because there is a sequel, but they never got to the, the number three, sadly. I don't know why. I think these did pretty well, but I, I may be misremembering that. Maybe the treasure box was, was empty for this one, for this franchise. So do you feel like it needed a third one? Is it like a trilogy? Kevin? Where threads left dangling? Did we need do, do we need 11 Fast and Furious movies? Maybe we don't. But but I do. <laughs> I do. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, you have this setup. We're going to do heists with history. His heistery. And we're going to go to different So it's spots. like a cross between like Indiana Jones and the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. I mean... And, and it's just going to be American history. I'm sure they could go global. They could do other stuff. But, you know, we could even stay here in America and figure out what's going on. I think you could do a bunch of movies with this. And it would be, it would be a fun old time for me. But I, I, as, I, as I wrote in our notes, I have the, uh, I feel like sometimes I have almost like a dad-like sensibility. Like I love, I love Clive Cussler. <laughs> I love The Curse of Oak Island on the History Channel. I love reading about history, so I, I don't, maybe, maybe it's just me, but this movie, like, satisfies that taste, that you know, aspect. Now, if people out there don't know, can you explain, who is Clive Cussler? Uh, what, what's this curse of Oak Island you speak of? Who's Clive Cussler? Come on! 
Clive Cussler's The Great American Novels. He's a, he's a novelist who passed away recently, unfortunately, but he wrote a lot of series about basically the formula is like, you know, we're X, the rich people who do, like, are going to explore on a submarine and find the Titanic, or we're going to, like, find the lost Inca gold, or, you know, find the Romanov ransom, and, like, the, you know, it's always a historical thing, and then people have to go on an adventure and a quest to uncover it, and there's always, like, bad guys who are going to try to stop them, and they they want the treasure, but they don't appreciate the history. They want it for, for ill-gotten gains, and then the Clive Cussler guys have to come in, and the, or Clive Cussler gals sometimes have to come in and be like, boom, 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 no, we're going to get it, and we're going to give it to a museum. So, it's, you know, it's, it's great. It's amazing. Beautiful literature. And then um, the uh, Curse of Oak Island is a uh, endless History Channel show that I am obsessed with. Just got a bunch of guys digging on an island, and every week they bring a bunch of cranks to the island, and the cranks sit down, look at them in the eyes across the table, and they say, the Templars came to this island and they buried the Ark of the Covenant, and the guys on the island have to be like, okay, we'll take that into consideration. And basically that's the show. There's like a legend of some treasure buried on the islands. They're blowing the whole thing up with TNT to try to find it. Nothing's there, obviously. A bunch of cranks come in, say, the stars told me that uh, the great god uh, Zululu, you know, uh, shunned the, you know, space laser onto this part of the island, so you need to dig here. This is where you find the treasure. And they dig there and nothing's there. And then they're like, well, I guess, you know, sorry. <laughs> so it's great. I love this shit. So... National Treasure was basically made before me. <laughs> I'm the ideal audience. So, so what's the plot of this picture? Basically, the central mystery is unraveling a secret treasure that the founders of the United States hid for reasons that don't quite make sense, especially when you consider how cash-strapped the early United States was. I think some of those early administrations, had they been in the know about a giant secret treasure, uh, would have probably wanted to get their hands on that. But uh, basically, the central character is Nick Cage playing Benjamin Franklin Gates, a disgraced historian, a lunatic. He's been run out of the establishment. Uh, academics hate him because he found this one trick to get the treasure. And he is basically uh, a treasure hunter slash historian. He loves history. He loves treasure. He's trying to get this. His family has been trying to get this ever since their ancestor was clued in by Charles Carroll, the last surviving signer of the Declaration of Independence. And it's kind of ruined a lot of their lives. So he's got this whole family baggage and he's trying to find this. And unfortunately, what he learns is that the key to the treasure is on the back of the Declaration of Independence. What are you going to do? <laughs> How are you going to explain that? Not very well, as we will come to find out. But that is the central mystery. It's kind of a thriller. Trying to, you know, kind of a treasure movie. People trying to piece together the clues, figure out the treasure. It's, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what we're in store for, folks. And at the beginning of the picture, he is on his quest to find this treasure and for some reason, he has chosen to work with a man of somewhat low moral character. Don't you talk about Ned Stark that way. <laughs> he's just misunderstood. Yeah, he's he's uh, teamed up with an enigmatic British 
rich guy, businessman, enigmatic British rich guy businessman who also used to be a criminal but has amassed this fortune. And now for some reason, even though he's, you know, not American, really wants this implausible American treasure that allegedly exists. He wants to spend his money on that. I think if you were an enigmatic British businessman, you could probably find better uses for your money, you know, that, that don't involve blowing a bunch of money on this. So, you know, like, this villain is not very well, <laughs> not very uh, sketched out or interesting because he just, he just sort of serves as an obstacle. He doesn't, he doesn't really seem that motivated to get it. And then you're like, if you have enough money to blow on all this bullshit, you know, obviously you're not strapped for cash, so you're not desperate. I think the second movie has a better villain in that respect. They're more motivated. So why why was why was Nick Cage working with this fella? <sighs> this fella, we should we it doesn't give too much away. He's willing pretty early on, at the drop of a hat, to turn evil. And by evil, I mean killing people and stealing things. On the first, uh, on basically, it's like on the if on the second day of work, your boss threw you out a window because it opens with them looking for a ship in the Arctic. They find the ship. Basically, after, like, one slight disagreement, Sean Bean's like, all right, I'm going to blow you up with the ship and your computer friend, Riley. Riley's the computer comic relief, if he can be called that. Um, and and that's what I'm going to do. And that's in response to basically somebody being like, no, I don't think we should do that. <laughs> so, Yeah. It, it seems like, uh, if I had to speculate, Kevin, because they don't really give us this in the text per se, but the subtext is that Gates is a disgraced historian. Nobody takes him seriously. No one wants to pay for his books. No one wants to pay for anything. So he needs to maybe be not so discerning about work when he takes it. So if a British billionaire comes to you and you're like that and he says, I believe you, I want to fund your mission to find this treasure, you know, you might be in a position where... You're like, yeah, well, he, like, you know, killed a puppy on his drive over here, and then he, like, punched an old lady in the face when we were in line at McDonald's, but, you know, maybe he's just having a bad day. <laughs> Do you think if you wanted something, and you had a way to get it through an evil billionaire, like a Jeffrey Epstein type, would you be tempted? No. But we don't, I don't think that, <laughs> Jesus, I don't think that Sean Bean invited, uh, Nick Cage over to his sex trafficking island before they went on this. He probably presented as relatively normal. I think you. I think you should probably be discerning about if a billionaire wants to work with you. What are they getting out of the deal? What's going on here? But again, this man is. This man has been disgraced. This man has been called a lunatic at historical conference after historical conference. Nobody wants to work with him because his ideas are patently absurd, <laughs> and because he just. He treats history like a treasure hunt instead of an academic discipline. So, <laughs> so you know, maybe again, I'm just saying, maybe the rent is coming due. His landlord's emailing him, and and this is this is a solution. He's not he's not thinking too clearly. See, it's just the thing is, we are meant to believe that Nick Cage has the highest personal standards of integrity, values history, and also that he's one of the smartest men alive. Very clever. And there's just a couple of times in the movie he does things that uh, play against that. Oh, yeah. And certainly, just by his performance, he doesn't give you any signs that he's a big intellect. Yeah. It all comes from people telling us he's smart. This guy's fucking brilliant. They say he's brilliant, 
and he, he believes that this person he used to work with is going to try to steal the Declaration of Independence in order to find a treasure. And so he just goes blundering into various government agencies as dumb guy music plays in your head. He's, oh, some guy's going to steal the Declaration of Independence, which is like the stupidest possible way. Yes. So so let's set that up. So basically, he goes to the Arctic. This guy, he gets a clue from a ship called the Charlotte. Uh, it's like a pipe. And he deciphers from that clue. The next clue is going to be a map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. At which point, yeah. the, the billionaire says, well, obviously, we need to steal the Declaration of Independence. And Nick Cage says, well, you know, I'm not sure we can actually do that. At which point, then the bad guy says, okay, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there was a little bit. I think maybe he said... I don't want to work for you anymore because I don't want to steal the Declaration of Independence. Instead of being like, okay, maybe I overreacted. The guy's immediately like, I'm not going to just kill you. I'm going to blow you up with the ship. And your little friend too. It's, uh, you know, it's quite a move. And yeah, they he and Riley escape because of Nick Cage action. And they go to the FBI. The FBI lasts them out of the room. Homeland Security... Nobody takes this seriously. And it just, we were talking about this, but it seems relatively simple when you think about it. If you say, I was contracted with this man. Here are the financial statements. You can see he's paying me here. Um, the other day, me and this other person, not, neither of us, maybe I'm a bit of a loon, but he's just a former office worker. He has no crazy background. Um, he tried to kill us when we were on a mission. I want to file an attempted murder charge against this guy. This happened internationally, but I want to see what my options are. And I also want to note that this man has a lot of resources and he expressed his intent to break into the National Archives and steal the Declaration of Independence. Is he literally going to be able to do that? I don't know, but I'm telling you, that's what he wants to do and he seems very confident that he can do this. And that would work. And also, I, I would have to imagine that this shadowy billionaire probably at some point in his life has done things to put him on law enforcement radar. Yeah. It's not like he's been an angel, an altar boy all of his life, and then suddenly the drop of his hat says, well, I'm going to blow up this ship and kill you, Nick Cage. Yeah, they'd be like, oh, yeah, he's no, he, he was an arms dealer. That's how he made his money. And then he went, quote, unquote, straight. But, you know, he, he has a history of elaborate heists, so... We could see him trying it, and and forget the forget protecting the declaration. At that point, I think the FBI is more concerned about like we need to make sure that the like janitor at the National Archives doesn't get his family taken hostage. You know, like to let these people in. Like you, you should be worried about your personnel who might be affected by such a heist, even if you're confident that the document is not in true danger because it's too secure. So it's honestly like I feel like I've met people like this Nick Cage character though. Where they think they're really smart, but they just are really awkward and don't communicate well. Are you, talk, are you talking about me? Uh, <laughs> you don't want to get a bit too personal here. I'm pulling my collar and oh uh, <laughs> uh, no, Kevin, of course not. You're nothing. You're nothing like Nick Cage. I feel like sometimes when I, whenever I'm talking, I talk about history sometimes. Whenever I'm talking about history and I can tell it's not really landing with the audience, like I'm like, talking about something I'm really interested in, and whoever I'm talking to is kind of getting that, like, forced smile, glazed eyes look. I feel like this guy. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like Nick Cage in this movie. Because <laughs> that's pretty much him 
not just talking about history, but talking about anything, including giving pertinent information to, to law enforcement. He's just, he thinks he's smart. He thinks he's this kind of like genius, but it sounds like he's just really good at getting a lot of historical facts in his brain and spouting them whenever they're remotely relevant. So basically me. <laughs> well, except you, when you talk, you vary your tone. See, most What's of this that, movie... Kevin? You think I vary my tone, Kevin? This is how Nick Cage talks during most of the picture. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence, Kevin. Yes, whether it's a, a statement of a shocking intent, whether he's uh, quietly whispering details of a plan, whether he's breathlessly saving the life of uh, our heroine, uh, all basically in the same tone of voice. So, yeah, that's an interesting performance choice. So <laughs> so one of the people he goes to reveal all of this to is uh, a young woman who is uh, an academic who works at the National Archives. Yes. Uh, Dr. Chase. She's played by Diane Kruger. They, they start bonding a little bit over their knowledge of George Washington Buttons. I was about to make a that's how we met joke, but well, I was going to say I feel basically like we've already done that a lot. <laughs> well, I, I feel we kind of bonded over uh, esoteric uh, crime trivia. That's true. <laughs> so, like, slowly we're just finding out that you didn't like Nick Cage's performance, but you are Nick Cage in this movie. <laughs> so then, then, then are you Doctor Chase? I actually think you're Doctor Chase, and I'm Nick Cage. <laughs> I think there's a gender bent thing go. I think we're just a gender flip. You're Dr. Chase. You're the responsible one. You're, uh, I do things by the book. I'm an academic. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I'm so boring. And I'm coming in, like, blowing everything up. I'm, oh, I don't care about the academy, damn it. You know, I was just running around with my, with my bags of stolen artifacts. That seems more like us. That's my take. Okay. You're the beautiful, <laughs> you're the beautiful academic. And you're the charisma-free nut. <laughs> Who runs around endangering my life, wrecking everything, yeah. putting my legal status in jeopardy. Because I follow you, I might end up spending the rest of my life in prison. Oops. <laughs> I mean, that that is exactly right. <laughs> it's like it's our lives up there on the screen. I know, somebody made a movie about our lives and they named it National Treasure. <laughs> A.K.A. History Channel, the motion picture. What I love, what I love is that this movie also, it's History Channel, the motion picture, but it also is elementary school slash middle school field trips, the motion picture, because it hits all the, it, you know, they go to DC, then they go to Philly, then they go to New York. I think if you're like in that kind of surrounding area, you've been on one of those field trips. They, the teachers, like my teachers did in fifth grade, can just plug the DVD in, shut everyone up for the bus ride, shut everyone up for the train ride. This is, they can tell the kids what's in store for them. <laughs> a world of adventure. <laughs> <laughs> really setting overly high expectations for these field trips. They can never be met. You're thinking, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to go down a fucking ghostly cemetery tunnel into the earth. I'm going to be flying around on these rickety old, old timey elevators. People aren't going to die in front of me. And then, you know, you just go to, like, the the Met or something. Have a little coloring book to fill in. Have a little worksheet to fill in all your all the paintings that you saw and what you thought of them. 
come on. Why can't they do a movie about that? <sighs> You'd be watching it all day. I'd watch anything you're in. That'd be dazzling. It'd be mesmerizing. Oh. My favorite little field trip thing was those things with, it was a piece of paper. It was a book full of pages that were like blank in places. And then you had a special pen with magic ink and you rub it over it and an image would appear. I thought they were using slates in your time, Kevin. <laughs> I never had that, but it sounds pretty cool. Sounds like something, it would be cool, but then I would have like fucked it up somehow. And then I'd be really sad that I messed up the drawing. Did you ever, so I said, okay, I, my school was bougie uh, in New York. So we actually had three overnight field trips. And it was also K through 12, so a goddamn nightmare. But fifth grade, we went to Philly. We basically did almost this. And this, you can't, we, we, weren't, we went to New York in high school, but like we lived right near New York. So that wouldn't have been like a big special overnight thing. We went to Philly in fifth grade. We went to fucking Colonial Williamsburg, where I later went to college in seventh grade. Eighth grade, Washington, D.C. You went to Washington, D.C. You almost got shot there, right? I went to Washington, D.C., but it wasn't like an official school field trip. It was like an organization affiliated with the school, close-up foundation. <laughs> you could pay money and go to that. I had no official school overnight field trips. I didn't grow up in a rich area like you. I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just an average working uh, Joe. Salt-of-the-earth type. Yeah. Whatever. I'm your uptown girl. Billy Joel style. We'd go to places like we'd go up to the state capitol. So, See the sights, and then turn around and go home. So Indianapolis. That's right. <laughs> go to the Children's Museum. Okay, that doesn't sound so bad. No, I, I we I, we we had the bougie stuff. We went, yeah, Philly, like random, but we did go there. You're going to Philadelphia, watching movies and special air conditioned buses. Well, that's just by dint of as all the, the the poor people just lie on the streets beneath you, begging <laughs> for food. Begging for your scraps. Welcome to Westchester County, baby. Also, it's not just the wealth gap here. It's the fact that you went to school in like the 80s or something. <laughs> they hadn't even invented buses yet. <laughs> not let alone DVD players. <laughs> but yeah, this definitely set high expectations for Philadelphia that have never been met. But I haven't really spent a lot of time there. So don't don't at me if you like Philadelphia. Also, one little quibble before we move on with the plot. They, they talk all about how uh, the clue is in the Charlotte, which is, of course, a ship that's lost in the Arctic. Okay, fine. That's all well and good. But did the founders know the ship was going to be lost when they did this? Or did they just know that asshole had the fucking clue? And, ah, oh, jeez. I guess if anyone can find the ship, uh, then you can get the treasure back. I mean, at that point where the founders kind of like, fuck, we lost, like, 10 billion dollars great job everybody like maybe they were gonna use it in washington's administration but then they were just like that fucking idiot had to go take that fucking special pipe with all the messages in it <sighs> i guess if anyone can find that in the future with future technology go nuts just a little just a little quibble about the national <laughs> treasure movie logic and real <laughs> millennial uses facts and logic to destroy national treasure <laughs> I love this movie so much. It makes me happy. Oh, and I also just want to note before we move on that the uh, the the clue in the Charlotte was a pipe. It was an ivory pipe. And the first thing we see is Nick 
cage, cutting his finger, bleeding all over this thing, this like ancient ivory bong looking thing. And, uh, and it's just like all these historical thrillers, whether it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, any of these things, you know, the history, they're all oh, history. The history is the real treasure. Oh, we got to look at the history. I, I care so much about the history. And then the next thing you're doing, they're like all taking a dump on whatever artifacts they find and using skeletons as torches and all uh, just. Why do you think that is? I think they want to be, you know, exciting movies. And I don't think movie makers think like uh, historians or archaeologists or people who want to preserve history. I think if you had Indiana Jones just doing normal archaeology, you know, if, if you did it in the right way, it might make for an interesting movie. But it's certainly not going to make for Raiders of the Lost Ark interesting. So, you, you know, you take artistic liberty just, you know just like with any profession, but sometimes it can be uh, a little, a little bit too far. I mean, it's fun to make fun of. I mean, obviously you're not, I think, I think these things tend to get people interested in history. So I kind of think it's mostly okay, but sometimes it goes a little too far. So if you were making a movie about reporters and wanted to blow up something in order to get people interested, what part, what would you blow up? blow up uh like like make it really inaccurate basically yeah Ooh, i think <laughs> I, I i don't you're, you're not gonna like this um i think i'd make the reporter have like a lot of impact basically sometimes when you're writing about stuff you're writing about like problems or issues and you're filing things and you know you're kind of just people people might agree with you people might disagree with you but you sort of feels like you're screaming into the void but if you had a reporter character who was really like, you know, getting people on the ropes and, and sort of, you know, having a huge impact on the world, that's a much more interesting story, you know? And I mean, of course that does happen, right? It, it probably just depends on your beat. Like if you're a local po reporter going after the mayor or something, you're probably going to have a lot of impact. You know, if you're one of a million people writing the general news TikTok on stuff, you know, maybe, maybe less so. But I think... That was not a that was not a sexy or fun answer. No, maybe not I'll the say, least. Maybe I'll say I'll have everyone sleep with all their sources. <laughs> Just a big sex capade. So Nick Cage and his friend Riley, who's the annoying comic relief computer hacker guy, they decide they are going to in fact steal the Declaration of Independence. The the FBI and Homeland Security don't believe them. Doctor Chase doesn't believe them. So in order to protect the declaration, the only thing they could possibly do is steal it. This is like Vietnam stuff. In order to save the village, we have to destroy it. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Gotta destroy the thing you love so no one else will hurt and it. And so then we have the, the classic sequence in a heist movie where you see the characters who are playing the heist do things that we don't understand, but we know it'll all be important later because it's all crucial parts of the heist. And so at one point, from a bit of a distance, they take a picture of a National Archives guard who is like wearing some sort of identification. And even though this picture is taken at a distance with what appears to be a normal camera from like 2004, <laughs> they then zoom in extra close on his identification and then they copy it and print it and put Nick Cage's normal high-resolution picture on it. 
And this fools everybody. Kids, kids, if you can dream it, you can do it. Any asshole with Photoshop and Adobe Suite and fucking lemons can steal the declaration. But if you, if you zoom in on a, an element of a picture you take from across the street, you're not going to have that good of resolution. I know. I was. I did a lot of Photoshop in college. I, I, I did, I did a lot you, of... You were trying desperately <laughs> to steal the Declaration of Independence. There you go. I was... I was constantly making fake IDs for everyone. I, I know all about this. It's definitely implausible photo bullshit. It's like that trope in, in cop things where people are like, can you res can you get me further resolution on the image? It's like, yeah, I can just invent pixels that don't exist. You know, like you can't zoom in. That, that doesn't do anything. But So when you were making your fake IDs, what historical items were you planning to steal? Oh, obviously. Do you even have to ask? I just asked. I'm... Um the reliquary at Jamestown that they found. Catholic reliquary buried with one of the colonists. What does it mean? I don't think anybody listening other than myself knows, knows what, what I'm talking about. But I don't want to get into this. Okay, basically, one of the top colonists who is like a lawyer from Essex uh, at this first permanent English colony in Virginia was found with a Catholic holy item. And what's baffling about that is because English, England at that time was a Protestant nation. Church of England was the state church. It's really odd that there would be Catholic artifacts uh, buried with people in this spot because, um, you know, they, they were sort of uh, not super popular in England at the time. So makes you wonder about Mr. Archer, makes you wonder about what was going on in Jamestown. Fascinates me. And the it's a silver little box with an M carved onto it. What the fuck does the M stand for? want to know so yeah that would be my heist item but i wouldn't want to steal it because i wouldn't know what the fuck to do with it so i wouldn't heist anything i wouldn't heist anything historical leave it to the leave it to the people who know what they're doing the nick cages of the world here's my thought if fucking sean bean wasn't such a fucking dumbass he could have really he could have come in and been like i'm gonna donate a billion dollars to the archives on one condition me and your top antiquarians are going to look on the back of the Declaration of Independence and we're going to see if there's a map there. Would they say no? You could even uh, make it even simpler. Say, I love your country. I want to donate TK dollars to ensure the permanent preservation of the Declaration of Independence. And if he's paying for it, I think it'd be pretty easy for him to ask somebody to take a look at the back of it or go there himself during the process. There's lots of ways this could have happened. Yeah, he could have done this totally legally, or at least mostly legally, in a way that he would have gotten away with it and gotten the treasure too. But what if, in the beginning, if he told Nick Cage, you know, you're right, I'm sorry, I was just getting a little crazy, you know, I can't steal it, I, I acknowledge that you are correct. And then he just stole it on his own and then called Nick Cage and said, hey, I did some lemon shit on the back of this. What does this mean? Nick Cage is presented as this very curious man. Even if he's upset that this thing was stolen, I think he would, uh, you know, like be like, I'm going to still work with you at this point. Yeah. So Sean Bean, not a very skilled villain, not a very intimidating villain here. Yeah, a lot of the characters in this movie that we're meant to think are intelligent don't really seem to yeah, be. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Boromir should have just borrowed the fucking thing after donating a shit ton of money instead of paying. He's basically paying 
dozens of men to hold guns and do crimes and go diving and, and fly helicopters. And, and each of those men is a potential witness against him in any uh, cr criminal action. Yeah, are we supposed to think, oh, they're all British, so they're, you know, there's an unbreakable bond there. They'll never turn on one another. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Also, they're all, there's all a record of all of them because they're all coming into the country, right? So, like, and I'm pretty sure England has an extradition treaty with us. Now, we, we talked, we, we've agreed that we don't think Cage seemed that smart or Bean seemed that smart. Did you feel the Dr. Chase, were you struck by her intellect? I mean, I don't think a serious historian or preservationist or whatever, you know, documents expert would have ever gone along with this. Do you think this film is like a dramatization of the Stockholm Syndrome? I Because she's kidnapped by this man, basically, and then falls in love with him. Stockholm Syndrome is, is a made-up thing. It's not real. In this case... I feel like there was a lot of icky vibes with their relationship early on because there's a lot of Nick Cage telling her to just shut up, basically. And that's not, like, that's not fun. Like, you know, we're, 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 we're going to a heist movie. We, you know, if there's a little romance on the side, that's fine. It's not the focus. But you could at least make it, like, fun banter, not, like, like, <laughs> like, if we did this all, the whole show, it would be unlistenable. Like, you say something and I'm just going to, you're Dr. Chase, I'm going to be Nick Cage. <laughs> would you like to stop for a hamburger shut up <laughs> is that fun are you having fun is that fun for you no and especially when it's like kind of like gross like like he comes off as like this just kind of dweeby guy it's, it's like bad vibes it's bad vibes when you know he's like he's like negging her like you're you know stop talking we don't want to hear what you have to say and it's like you know, again, like maybe I can, I can, I can roll with some like they hate each other, then they love each other stuff. You know, I love Pride and Prejudice, whatever. But you gotta like earn it. You gotta sell it. And if you don't have time to sell it, maybe choose a different course because this just it, they have zero chemistry. It doesn't work. And then you don't really understand why she flips. You know, she's aware that other bad guys are trying. So basically, what happens is. I guess we should explain the heist, but uh, Nick Cage steals the de declaration right before Sean Bean can steal it. I think you liked that action sequence. There were elements of it that I felt were not wholly unsuccessful. <laughs> Why don't you tell me what you mean, Mr. Legalese? Uh, there was a moment that is Nick Cage is, has the Declaration of Independence in its case. He is stopped by the bad guys who raise guns to fire at him. And he holds up as a shield this priceless artifact, the Declaration of Independence, because it is in a bulletproof case. I thought that was a witty sequence. Yes, yes. I, I always find that sequence pretty fun. He like basically infiltrates a gala to celebrate the archives and then sneaks his way down and then things go wrong when Bean's people start breaking in. So it's it's fun. Basically what happens is Dr. Chase. Oh, I remember when I was when I was in fifth grade, now I've grown up, but I thought it was so hilarious when basically he's almost busted because a clerk at the gift shop thinks he's shoplifting a thirty dollar replica of the Declaration of Independence. So he ends up buying it. So I was, I remember as a kid being like, Oh my god, they got him and I'm like, ah, Haha, <laughs> that's clever. Now I'm like, this is dumb. But I love this movie anyway. Um, Dr. Chase comes running after him outside. 
she's kidnapped by the bad guys, then she's kidnapped again by Nick Cage and his people. So she's aware that there's quote-unquote worse people going after it, but I don't think that's enough of a reason for her to flip and join the team. And she's saying at first she's joining the team almost because she wants to make sure the declaration is safe. But I think in her mind, she might say that, but I think that character would be like calling 911 secretly when no one was looking. Because, you know, for all she knows, maybe these people aren't evil, but they could really fuck up this document at any moment. There, there are a couple of brief scenes earlier in the picture where she interacts with a classic Ralph Bellamy type character, which is a man in her life who is a bit dull and a bit dweebish. And I think we're meant to think, well, well, Nick Cage must be pretty excited next to this fella. And she, he like checks out her cleavage at one point. So I think we're supposed to think, ah, he's a perv, but Nick Cage is a gentleman. He just grabs women and throws them in his van. And he's not the least bit interested in their physical appearance. And as long as we're talking about the intelligence and stuff of the characters, Nick Cage also works with this hacker named Riley. Riley, to me, seemed like a lot of these movies have a character where the movie makers think, well, we'll gain some credibility with the audience by having a character in the movie in an allegedly humorous way point out the implausibilities. Yeah, the dumb shit. Yes. Like Roman in the Fast and Furious movies often does this. Yeah. Riley does it here. What do you think of Riley? Well, I think that that kind of character is usually like a not a great idea just because it's like, just because you're calling out how dumb things are doesn't make things less dumb. Right. It's almost never a clever meta meta ness in that has been done so much that it's almost never clever. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's it, he just feels like a very early 2000s meta comic relief characters so that's kind of what you're getting kind of that cookie cookie cutter like i can't believe we're stealing the declaration it's like well yeah well that's what the movie's about so you know better believe it (laughs) (laughs) i think i think if you wanted to have more humor in this that would be welcome because it's also a funny concept that you're going to steal the declaration but i think most of the humor comes from inadvertent you know, statements like Nick Cage proudly declaring that he's going to steal the declaration or tearfully saying that the, you know, that when the declaration's back in Philadelphia, it wasn't here, you know, here, the last time it was here, it was being signed and like all that kind of uh, cheesy stuff as opposed to quips. And is this the time to mention the other big main character is Nick Cage's father? Because At some point in the movie, there's a little bit of a pivot and it becomes the story of a son trying to win the approval of his father. That's the real treasure. A father's approval. I mean, you stole the... (laughs) What would you steal to impress your dad? (laughs) That's the question. Fire truck? The code of the fireman. (laughs) The fire truck. Just come driving down the street. Columbus, Indiana. (laughs) What would you steal to impress your father? I don't know. Uh... Medical, ancient medical journal from the physician Galen. And his his father also acts in a way similar to Nick Cage. He's pretty much a monotone, vaguely kind of grumpy and complaining a lot. Yeah, basically all he does is go around being like different versions of, I don't like this. And then not to give too much of a spoiler, at uh, the end abruptly he says, oh, you did something good here. I'm proud of you. Also, yeah, he got the good job son moment. But in a very kind of grumpy way. Yeah, didn't get us all killed. 
Love you too, Dad. Also, this man, I want to say, to uh, compliment his sour disposition, he has a suspicious amount of lemons in his house. They're looking for lemons because they're trying to decipher the secret code on the back of the the declaration after they've stolen it. And, you know, the... They gotta they gotta wipe it down with lemons because that's what you do to see you know hidden uh, what is it invisible ink, and this guy has like bowls of bowls of lemons. I don't think I'm exaggerating. I, I think I saw like there were several lemons in the fruit bowl and then a bowl of lemons in the fridge. What the fuck? He's making lemonade. What the fuck is this guy doing? What's what's his deal? What's John Voight's deal? Well, yeah. You raised a big ruckus about this at the time when we were watching it. You got up, you were throwing things at the TV, you were stomping lemons. your foot. <laughs> to me, there's a lot about this movie I found implausible, but I think it's entirely plausible. They know, these characters know they need lemons in order to read what's Make on lemonade. the back. <laughs> in order to read what's on the back of the document. And they're on a long drive from washington dc to his father's what, so house so they stop at whole foods on the way when they're when the whole fucking country's looking for them yes <laughs> again if when the whole fucking country is looking for them does it make sense that the first stop is at daddy's house <laughs> that just sounds weird <laughs> so i can buy i have no problem imagining they stop somewhere and got some lemons uh, or they could have stopped they, they could have stopped in a grocery store parking lot and given a, a young fella, a little kid, a dollar, <laughs> and said, here, urchin, go and give me the plumpest lemons in the store. <laughs> that's, what, that's how you do your grocery shopping. But it's not how most people do. Well, then I don't know, Kevin, why the lemons were carefully arranged in a ceramic bowl in the fridge instead of in some plastic bag on the table. <laughs> so they get the lemons, they go into the house. They say, we don't want these to spoil. Can we put them in a bowl in the fridge? <laughs> I love this we're arguing about lemons and national treasure. <laughs> when Nick Cage gives you lemons, <laughs> you make a dumb podcast about were, it. Were they in a ceramic bowl in the refrigerator? They were in a... Unless I was hallucinating. Were they just like in a drawer? I thought they were in a ceramic bowl in the refrigerator. I'm gonna look. Why? Why would you even do that? Why would you put them in a ceramic bowl <laughs> instead of just putting them? That's why I said John Boyd had the lemons before they got there. That's the only thing that makes sense. You're when you put, when you buy you're lemons, just trying to fit the facts to your theory. When you buy lemons, do you put them in a bowl in the refrigerator? No. Also, I don't buy like ten lemons. Okay, they, they have one bowl. Of like slices. Okay, I see that, and they—that they, was obviously when they cut themselves. Yeah, national lemons. It's a bowl. It's a bowl. Now I want to count them. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I was just remembering the notorious goldfish incident in <laughs> Double Indemnity. What? Okay. So now so I have—I have the lemon incident against me. I'm gonna count them. I'm gonna count the lemons in the bowl. That's in the center of the fridge. One, two, three, four, five, six lemons. At least. Those are the ones that are visible. I'm sure there's ones in the background. Do you find six lemons to be a suspiciously high number of lemons? Yes. 
So what number of lemons? He lives alone. He's divorced. His okay, child- two questions. What number of lemons do you think is fine for an upstanding man to hold? Two. What do you think he's up to? Why did why does he have all these extra lemons? I don't know. What what's your big dark suspicion? I, what's your conspiracy theory? He's writing a lot of invisible letters to his son, I guess. Saying how he does he does approve of him. He just doesn't know how to communicate that and then he just burns them afterwards because he doesn't know how to talk to him. You go to the store. <laughs> you can buy lemons by the bag. And then put them in a bowl. The way God intended. <laughs> And then if you want, you can make lemonade. If you make tea, it's a very nice, refreshing Kevin. little thing to add to your tea. Kevin. You slice it. You put it on your cup. Kevin. <laughs> You're good to go. Okay, Mr. Sous Chef. Mr. Garnish. I want to I wanna ask you something. Who has the goddamn time to make lemonade from scratch? Who? I remember when we were in Brooklyn, there was a couple of occasions when we'd go to the store, buy a bag of lemons, boil them up. Make old-fashioned lemonade. I remember one time somehow it ended up tasting like like <laughs> dishwasher detergent. And then we never did it again. <laughs> That's how most people have an experience with homemade lemons. They realize, oh, wait, I don't A, hate myself, and B, have fucking time for this because I have a fucking job. I have a life. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> so maybe he just stumbled across the recipe the day before. Making lemon tarts. <laughs> Perhaps um, a lovely lemon cake. Maybe maybe he bakes when he's stressed or something. He seems like he's stressed a lot. I just I, I Perhaps just, I'm sure lemon custard. Lemon bars. Wait, think this guy's like some fucking He's retired! What's he supposed he's to do? He's a home chef? He's a home chef? Is that what we're saying? What's he supposed to do with his time? I don't know. He's disgraced. His academic career is in tatters. It is. Because all the fucking lemons. People weren't upset about the goddamn conspiracy theories. People were just upset about always bringing in lemons and leaving them in the fucking staff refrigerator. We don't get it. We don't get it. And then, like, the, the dean's like, oh, guys, come on. It's not that bad. And then the, the dean comes back and there's lemons on his desk. Oh, Jesus Christ. Open up the desk drawers. are full of lemons. John Boyd! <laughs> <laughs> gone off the fucking rails. Jesus. This episode's gonna be a real lemon. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> now you've gone too far. So sorry. Oh, Jesus. I, I just wanna, yeah. Okay, so now we're going back into the plot. Basically, they, they, they learn on the clue that they gotta go to Philly. It's gonna be a Liberty Bell thing. We're just hitting all the different artifacts and important places for the founders. So they're going to go there. Riley starts creepily bribing a little boy to spy on different aspects of like the document that they're going to get their next clue from, which looks very creepy. <laughs> Can you imagine the scene we didn't see where <laughs> Riley approaches a child who's by himself waving money hey, under the child's boy, nose? Some, hey, little boy, do you want some money? <laughs> Jesus. Not very good. Uh, and I and then also I want to note that Riley disappears. Basically, Sean Bean's men show up, so Riley disappears. He kind of figures out the last part of the clue on his own. And the little boy is left behind. Do you think that little boy grew up, like, wondering, what the fuck was that all? Was I almost kidnapped? <laughs> what the... What, like, what happened with that? Wouldn't that haunt you as, a, as an adult then? 
especially because shortly thereafter, Sean Bean comes and confronts the little boy and says, little boy, if you tell me what you told that first man, the one who mysteriously disappeared, I'll give you a hundred dollars. I'll give you a C note. Jesus, that kid's going to need fucking therapy. This movie's about artifacts, but then it goes into some pretty ancient history when it comes to the internet. They're using Yahoo as their primary search engine. <laughs> They're so typing you, in. <laughs> so do you remember any uh, search engines other than uh, Google? Because when I was a boy, there was a ton of them. Uh, I remember Yahoo. I had, I think for a while I had Yahoo as my home page when I was like first got a computer in middle school. You always seem to me like somebody who used the search engine. Ask Jeeves. I, I did. I definitely did. But that was that was pre-getting my own computer. By the time I got my own computer, pretty much Google was the, the lord of the land. When I, I was a boy, there was a search engine where the big thing was it would give you the results from like 10 different search engines. You should have said, when I was a boy, there was a search engine. It was called the library. <laughs> um... I, well, you asked me, by the way, you asked me earlier, because we we're talking about this, ab about what historical heist I would do. And I said this thing nobody cares about, nobody knows about except for me uh, and other people who study early Virginia history. My question for you is, what is your historical heist? What suits the Kevin fancy? The, the historical thing I most want probably no longer exists. My, my favorite uh, Roman writer is the historian Tacitus. Much of his writings have been lost, and I would love to find and steal them so I could read them. Okay, I'd, I'd, I'd watch that. You try to communicate with a bunch of confused Italian tour guides? Yeah. <laughs> would be most of the movie, probably. It's possible at the end of this movie, those those writings were recovered. So you could just steal from Nick Cage? Yeah, child's play. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, you know, but you mentioned Tacitus. I wish, I really do wish this had become some sort of Fast and Furious-esque franchise where they kept on adding people to the squad. The heists kept on getting bigger and bigger. Maybe they get in, you know, some other actor to come in and try to hunt them for the FBI or something. You know, we could have, we could have had fun here. We could have had some fun. You know, maybe they're going after, you know, they did the declaration. Maybe, you know, like later they do, spoiler alert, Mount Rushmore in the second movie. Um, maybe some stuff in California at some point. You know, like there's lots of elements of American history that are sort of iconic. You know, Lady Liberty in New York again. You know, there's different stuff you could do. We could have fun, make a third movie, help America heal. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm throwing out there to the universe today. Could have, could have had it all rolling in the deep. <laughs> you keep saying you want another movie. Can I just make a point that I'd like to hear you respond to? Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Okay, that's a that's fair. But here's here's my point that I'll respond to you. Raiders of the Lost Ark was good. Last Crusade was good. Yes. Those are good movies. This is kind of just silly. This is fun, but silly. I wouldn't say maybe there's certain craft in certain elements of it, but it's not like a slam dunk by any means. It's not a Raiders. It's not, I wouldn't say it's even a mummy. It's, it's, it's sub that. It's... So bad it's good at times. Sometimes it's just fun. Sometimes it's good. But sometimes it's bad. So it's it's much more of a mixed bag. So therefore, I think it's actually harder to fuck it up. Because as long as you're maintaining a level of mediocrity, you know, you're nailing it, basically. Well, I'd, I'd argue that having people return to a franchise like 12 years later 
is like having a couple try to recreate their prom date 12 years later. Whatever magic happened, cherish it, enjoy the memory, but move on. I, I think that's fair. But I just am saying I wish... Actually, you know what? This one I think I think you could do. I think you could do another one. Didn't you say the second one was disappointing? Did I? Didn't you? Or is that just the general consensus? Um, To me, it seemed pretty much par for the course. I think... Uh, I think it would probably be sad. I think at this point it's probably too late because now everyone's getting older, so it would definitely look more sad. What's Nick Cave, like 70 now? But I think they could have done it like, you know, six years ago, five years yeah. ago. So it's a it's a damn shame. This country deserves better. You look at how old Nick Cage is. With Indiana Jones, like you took the character seriously. You took Harrison Ford seriously. He's like this like cool-ass guy... He's this like hot archaeologist on the run, you know, but he's really smart and he's really savvy and he does cool things, does cool stunts. And Nick Cage is 57, by the way. Yeah. So, you know, you you like he he had a, like a virility to him in the in the movies. Like, you know what I mean? And then to see that and to see, you know, him older, but not just that, but just the fact that that movie was so all over the place and, and kind of kooky and, and just it just. It lost the magic. That's for sure for me. I mean, maybe I maybe I'd be more sympathetic on a rewatch for Crystal Skull, but when I saw it, I was just like, "God, this sucks." And with this, it's more of like it's already kind of kooky, nutty, stupid. You know, like Nick Cage running around being like, "I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence." Like you're not really taking that super seriously, and he doesn't really, you know, represent much other than a crazed historian. So uh, I I think I think this would be easier to revisit than. Something that's so iconic like uh, Indiana Jones. That's just my take. I see your point. It's a fair point. But I think you, I think we could squeak this one in. <laughs> one thing I had a question about with this. You know, they're running around the Reading Market. They're running around Independence Hall in Philly. Does the public know that the declaration is missing? If you were the decision maker, would you inform the public? I actually don't know if I would. Because wouldn't you get a lot of fakes, people being like, I have it, oh, I want a million dollars. You know, it might it, it might hurt the recovery efforts. I would think if you let people know, you'd have a greater chance of recovering it. Because what are you going to do with it if you steal the Declaration of Independence in the real world? Are you going to try to just, if you try to sell it. Yeah, you can't fence this. I want people to be on the lookout for it. I guess. I just think there's probably a lot of backfire that could go down. And if you already, if the issue is you don't know who did it, perhaps, but if the issue is you do know who did it, it should be, frankly, how, how, how didn't they catch them just by their cell phones and shit? Yeah. It would be a big story, though. After the Gardner heist, weren't, uh, wasn't the public informed pretty much immediately what paintings were stolen? Yeah, and they didn't get any of them back. <laughs> Look how that went. I, yeah, it's, it's, hmm. I mean, I mean, the thing that people don't really understand is there's no, like, you know, and we were looking this up, there's no real, there, there's no real, um, one declaration of independence. There's different versions of it. It was a document that was distributed out to different people. So everyone in the colonies, former colonies could know, Hey, we're doing this. You know, it, early, early Americans didn't give a shit about the declaration. Like, like, I mean, early, they just started the country. Nobody was going around like, oh, my God, what a big deal. They were like, it's a big deal that we left England. What we wrote isn't a big deal. The Jeffersonians, the people who were 
uh, Jefferson's allies in politics. Since he wrote it, they were like, this is a big deal. Look what our boy wrote. He's awesome. Look at the, 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 the. And then later on, it got more, more and more acclaimed because of, you know, the values espoused within. But, um, you know, early on, it was funny. Like, nobody was sitting around being like, wow, we really knocked that one out of the park. <laughs> they were more like, wow, we left England. Damn. Good for us. So, it's interesting that it's not... I don't think it's something that necessarily, like, if you went back to, to 1776 and you're told the average Joe on the, you know, average colonial Joe on the street, oh my God, Nick Cage stole the Declaration of Independence, that he might be like, oh, okay, like, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for letting me know. Also, who's Nick Cage? <laughs> Little history for you there, but, you know, there's multiple documents. I guess they stole, like, the, the kind of one of two more official mm-hmm. ones that they put out there. In reality, this movie, he would have just gotten busted immediately because he would have had to spend more, so much time going through each drawer and figuring out which fucking one it was. So in Philadelphia, the FBI, old Hoover's boys, uh, <laughs> close in on him. They arrest Cage. He gets a call from Sean Bean, and we get a bizarre sequence where uh, Nick Cage says that he's chained to a desk. And then Sean Bean says something like, and tell the FBI agent who's listening in. And every all the FBI agents around like look freaked out. <gasps> I can't believe it. It's like he opened up with saying he's chained to a desk. I think he imagined that he was not doing some weird sex thing, but that he was arrested. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, then a bunch of plot contrivances happen. For yeah, some... I, I didn't really understand yeah, this. The FBI is like, we want you to go to New York to help grab Sean Bean since he has the declaration. And then somehow Dr. Chase and Riley are temporarily working with the bad guys at this point in order to try to help Nick Cage escape from the FBI. And then they they think they're, they don't realize how much they really are working for them. And then also Sean Bean has kidnapped Nick Cage's father. Nick Cage swims underwater with help of a safety diver and a big motor thing and like a tank of oxygen and it's a scene that's somehow more implausible than the underwater endless fight scenes in some of the james bond movies and then suddenly they're in a church trinity church we've been there or we, we've been outside there that's right near where i used to work in manhattan on wall street financial district yes that's where alexander hamilton's buried it's a very old church 1697 and uh apparently Apparently there's a huge pit, a huge hellmouth under it that's A, never caused any structural issues whatsoever. The subway people have never found. The sewer people have never found. The electrician, electricity people have never found. There's just this gaping chasm under this popular uh, tourist attraction that everyone just missed. So that's fun. And it's full of treasure. Oh, don't spoil it. Yeah, and one thing I found kind of sad, maybe implausible, maybe... Uh, it's very, you know, it's a popular church. It's where Alexander Hamilton's buried. It has all these, you know, it, it, it's one of the older ones. I think it might be the oldest one in New York. But if, if don't quote me on that. It's very old. And nobody's in there. They show up. Nobody, they, you know, they're all sitting around. They're planning it out with the bad guys. The bad guys now have the upper hand. They have everyone at gunpoint. Where isn't New York well known as a godless, atheistic city? That ain't true. It's not true in practice. I went to a Catholic church right near there on... Uh, Ash Wednesday and it was packed you know you know it's 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 people go to church but especially even if you're godless even if you don't believe in anything that's fine you could still maybe find it, it, a church like Trinity 
a church like Trinity beautiful architecturally. Maybe you just want to see where Alexander Hamilton's buried, so you're fucking around in the cemetery. Maybe you just want you're interested in the history, so you don't have to be uh, Episcopalian to you know want to see Trinity. We went there on a field trip when I was in high school, so it seems implausible. And there's no like little ladies doing a prayer, or there's no priest on hand, or I don't know minister doing something. Just it, they're they're very lucky because obviously Sean Bean's men would have shot those people dead, but just seems a little bit suspect when something in New York City in non-pandemic times, because this is 2004, is so abandoned. But anyway, they go, they figure the clues out, they go into a grave, <coughs> smash into some poor guy's grave, throw his skeleton on the floor, crawl in into the cobwebs, and then they get to this massive spiral staircase situation. I was thinking when I was watching this, my ass would immediately fall down those stairs. <laughs> you know I would be just... Bum, bum, bum. Ah! I'm dropping my phone now <laughs> to make a point. It would be a hot mess. And uh, this there's a bunch of action movie stuff where people are swinging on chandeliers, people are swinging on ropes, people are swinging on these fake elevators. Goons are falling to their death. It's, it's just... It's very dramatic. It's a very confusing sequence. I really started getting totally lost about this point. At one point, Cage drops his love interest in order to save the declaration. And meanwhile, Cage is like being, you know, threatened with death. You know, he might fall down the whole chasm. He, he, he looks basically like his order at Panera Bread is taking a little bit too long. He looks mildly concerned, but not scared. <laughs> <laughs> That's the level of emotion we're at here. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking, though, I mean, when, I know it's a confusing scene. The lighting is a little dark. I enjoyed it personally. I always love a big uh, torch scene because I think torches make everything look more cool and dramatic. You know, by torches, I don't mean flashlights. I mean, like, flame torches. Can we go on some kind of adventure where it involves us holding torches? Don't you think that would make us feel like total badasses? I'd love that. I don't mean, like, racist torches. I don't mean, like, tiki torches that, like, awful white people have at awful rallies. I just mean, like... We're in an old building, and we gotta look at the the ruins or the stones or the you know the the, the mosaic with tor a torch. That's just that's cool. You look cool. I love it. Sign me up. I once gave a tour by lantern light, and I thought I looked so badass. I'd be like, hello, come with me, holding up the lantern to my face. Where was this? <laughs> this was last night at our house. You were asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of people came in. We were all walking around. Making a joke about our house kind of brings up an issue. In this sequence, they find this incredible treasure underneath the church. Mm -hmm. uh, so my question to you, I know you're not a lawyer, but I'm still going to ask this. Imagine that someone broke into our house and found something valuable. Yeah. Would they get to keep it? No. No. So this treasure would belong to the church, there, I would imagine. There's no finders. Wouldn't it belong to New York City? I mean, does the church own all the land underneath it? Doesn't New York City have eminent domain over, like, stuff that they might need for, like, subway and shit? I don't know the answer to that. I don't either. We need to look into the law books. <laughs> <laughs> figure this out. Figure out the legality. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think... And the church... But also, yeah, I, I feel like when I was a kid, I would be like, oh, cool, they got the treasure. I'd love to get the treasure. And as an adult, I'm like, you know, the MTA really needs that money. <laughs> and 
did I miss this? I'm sure I did. Why did they even hide all this treasure? What was the point? They the the Templar the Templars and the Masons allegedly um, thought that no one person should have this treasure, so they put it all together and hid it all in the same place for somebody to find and left clues for that to happen. So I don't I don't really get what the again the the, the states were. The, the, America has never paid back its debt to France that we owed it because, it, you know, we had a deal and they came over and they fought the British for us. And it was basically an extension of the Seven Years' War. So, like, wouldn't have we have, like, wanted to pay, if we'd been able to pay them back on that, wouldn't have we have done that? And also a lot of a lot of the so-called treasures, like cultural treasures, like uh, they find some many, many of the scrolls in the Lost Library of Alexandria. It's a priceless cultural resource. So if that's found, that's not like just belonging to one person. That would belong to the world. Yeah, and like, listen, a lot of the founders were asshat hypocrites who owned slaves and did horrible things. But like, I like to think that most of them would have at least been like, oh shit, there's cool stuff in here. We think that you should be able to read the scroll of whatever. Like, at least put that out for public consumption. They were all about that classical shit. So that doesn't even... That doesn't even make sense when you consider the people that we're talking about here. Even even if you want to have a, you know, even if you want to, you know, say the founders were bad. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think they'd have been bad in that way of, like, hiding this. Also, let me just make a point here. You know, in all this year, the, in all the years that this thing has been down there, they've never had a big sewage leak. The rats haven't gotten to it. This is New York City. The rats... The rats would have eaten the fucking library of Alexander. Alexander, I'm getting so upset thinking about this. You'd have pizza rat in there making off with a big old slice, Brooklyn slice, and a big, you know, chunk of whatever like play that you know Tacitus wrote or something. I don't know the answer to this. I don't know the answer to this. Are there subways near Trinity Church? Yes, yes. The four five, the four five has a stop on Wall Street. It's like within walking distance. I'm pretty, let me look that up to make sure, but I'm, I'm like, I was thinking that I was like the four, five, the, the four, <laughs> the five train accidentally busts through this thing one day, goes off its rails, busts through, doors open, a bunch of bankers, a bunch of tourists are like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is the worst subway station I've ever seen. Oh my God. Look at where the subway, look where the church is. Look where the subway station. There's a subway station right there, folks. Game over. Yeah. They do reference the subway at one point. There's rumbling and they're like, it's the subway. But I guess they just missed it. But, you know, just think about the rats that are in New York City. Lots of rats. Rats all over the subway system. They're underground. It's a filthy city. It's it's a beautiful city. Full of rats. At least it has culture. But it's, you know, I, I don't believe that the rats didn't get into this and that they wouldn't eat the scrolls. They can't eat gold, but they can eat paper, and there's a lot of paper in this thing. Um, but I want to note that before they have a fake out, before they do find the treasure, and this was something that got my goat when I was in fifth grade. I remember this. They they don't find the treasure. They they go into this room, and it looks like it's been ravaged. It's like a fake out room. And if you're an adult watching this, you're like, okay, yeah, I know the treasure's gonna be in the next room. It's fine. When I was a kid, I was like, oh my god, are they gonna give some bullshit speech about how the real fucking treasure was the history we learned along the way i remember i was so mad at this point i was like not standing for this you were a very excitable child 
I wasn't ever talking to people about this. I was just thinking in my head. I was just sitting there on my bus seat, like shaking my head, like, no, sir. You still do that. When we watch things together, I often see you shake your head ruefully. That's just because I'm with you, Kevin. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so they find the treasure. They, uh, Nick Cage gives a poor Episcopalian janitor a heart attack because he busts out of a grave. And I, I just feel like if I saw Nick Cage busting out of a grave in a cemetery and then asked me to borrow my iPhone, you know, ask to borrow my iPhone, I would just be like, sure, yeah, whatever. It's Tuesday. Yeah, it's fine. Hope you had a good day doing whatever you've been doing. And and then it turns out that all is forgiven. You know why? Uh, the investigating FBI agent happens to be a Mason. <laughs> so the Masons tried to get you, right? Yes. They tried to get you in. And as far as you know, they, they didn't. I look at Kevin's fingers, see a ring, a Mason <laughs> ring. <laughs> I bet the Masons liked this movie. It was like a movie that didn't make them look... I mean, from the perspective of, like, the Masons hit a whole, whole treasure that could have probably really helped the country out for years, that makes them look bad. But in the, you know, it makes them look like monsters. But, but, like, not unless you really think about it. You know, on the surface, it's like they're trying, you know, they just they had some cool shit. They hit it, had a little scavenger hunt over it. We all had a fun time. <laughs> Civil War, what's that? <laughs> we didn't need any of this then, you know. What happens to the bad guy? Well, it's Sean Bean, and if you're familiar with career of Mr. Bean, he plays Ned Stark in Boromir. Spoiler alert. Both of those characters are famous for dying. And uh, so you're like, I every time I watch this movie, even though I know what happens, I'm always like, oh man, yeah, he dies, right? No, he just gets arrested by the FBI. Uh, Nick Cage tricked him into going up to Boston, and so Sean Bean left him and his companions to die in the hole, and then went off to, fucked off to Boston, uh... You know, but then he gets busted by the FBI immediately. Tell me about the last scene between Nick Cage and Dr. Chase. Well, you find out that inexplicably, the authorities have allowed them to all uh, accept a finder's fee, even though Kevin discussed the dubious legality of that. And uh, Riley gets a like some sort of fancy car. I don't know cars. Chase and Nick Cage are in a relationship and they bought a big fancy house together and they are uh they're very much in love now which i don't buy they didn't have any chemistry but and then what happens uh dr chase hands nick cage a map and he says what's this a map to and she's like you'll find out and then playfully runs inside their big estate and i think the implication is nick cage is so sexually inept he needs a map to find his girlfriend's genitalia (laughs) You know, it's it's quite a it's. Am I interpreting that wrong? Yeah, you might be. How do you interpret it? Maybe she was just saying it's a map to a nice romantic picnic I've planned outside. You're you're so innocent. I just think you're a perv. I just think you're still that fifth grade innocent child. I think you're well. Then why are you married to me, you fucking pedophile? <laughs> That's right, folks. We're married. <laughs> we got married. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think your interpretation of it being sexual seems potentially valid, but I think my interpretation of it just being some cute thing, you know, is also valid. You know, we'll never know. I think you'd enjoy giving me a scavenger hunt with really complex arcane clues I could never figure out, ultimately literally nowhere. What are you saying? I'm gone, girl? <laughs> are you saying I'm, an, I'm amazing Amy? <laughs> 
<laughs> Jesus. Spoiler alert. Jeez. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I do too. I like scavenger hunts. I suck at them, but I think I'd be good planning them. Because then I'd be in control. You love being in control. I do. Yeah. So is it time to bring this home? I think that's true. First of all, what did you think? You thought there were good qualities. You thought there were some pretty stinkers in this one. Uh, They had some nice moments of humor. It's always fun to watch smart characters figure stuff out. So there was some pleasure in there. I thought the acting was bad. A lot of the execution was bad. Some of the uh, action sequences were a bit anemic. Uh, it really suffered for having no chemistry between the male and female leads. That was like a real black hole in the center of the picture. Yeah, I agree. I'd say maybe like a B minus. All right, all right. And what's your unvarnished well, take? Well, I have the ba- I have the problem of nostalgia, right? So I I still lo- like I it hit me at the right age, so. I still love it, you know. I, I I think there's probably other stuff maybe I would see and I'd be like, meh. <sighs> Seeing it for the first time as an adult, but sometimes when you see something as a kid, you kind of got that those rose-colored glasses, much like uh, Ben Franklin's secret 3D glasses that become a plot point in this film. So I think that's what I'm viewing it through. I acknowledge your points. I think you have very valid uh, view of this film and its weaknesses. Um, but for me, it uh, it. Uh, my history with it, so to speak, uh, <laughs> ends up carrying the day. Um, and I would say my my final my my take two, my five star final take is uh, we hold. <laughs> I hold maybe I should say since you didn't really like it, I hold this truth to be self evident that this movie remains a national treasure. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.